BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of The Promised Land, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by 90min and sponsored by our friends at ProPrep. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by football journalist and United season ticket holder Rob Blanchett. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify or Google and follow us on Twitter. You can find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promised Land MU. Rob, welcome back. Uh, we have seen Manchester United win a game. Uh, in the FA Cup against Aston Villa. Uh, we're speaking after the first of two clashes with Villa this week. United win 1-0 at Old Trafford in the Cup thanks to an early Scott McTominay goal. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit of depth now when we bring Rob in. We'll also talk about a bunch of other issues today, which I'll get into in a second. But Rob, how are you doing? And what did you think, in a general sense, of that performance last night? Well, in the Cup, it's just about winning, isn't it? So 1-0 in the cup is always absolutely fine. It's just about progressing. But there were some positives. There was definitely some negatives. It was good to see Man United play with at least a level of energy that, that kind of mirrored something along the lines of being motivated. So, you know, I think one of that's been one of the big issues over the last few weeks and maybe the killer for Ranić is that the players have looked kind of disinterested and just lack motivation to do the work yet when they're on the ball, they can do certain things, flicks and tricks, whatnot, but the overall quality is still just a real big mess. And it's such a huge job for Ranier. Like we've said it on this show before, this isn't really a six month job, is it for, for anyone to come in and do there's lots of riddles for Ranier to solve. Yeah. That's actually in my notes. You've robbed that from me. Um, but although I did rob it from you initially when we spoke off here, uh, this is <laughs> Ragnick's got a lot of problems, hasn't he? Because there were times in that game where, you know, we, I think we recorded after the Wolves game and it was pretty obvious that United weren't really putting in the effort and that the effort's been questioned in the press all week. Uh, we've had anywhere from 11 through 17 to 20, 27 million players wanting to leave United at any one time. Uh, the, the body language around the club has been questioned in the last few weeks. The attitude has been questioned. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of players who are not willing to work. But I think Ranić, he did manage to get a tune out of them. Let's, let's start with a positive, shall we? So it looked like they started running, which is a good thing. It's, it's what the minimum that fans are after, isn't it? Totally. And, you know, I, I, this this whole style of walking football that we're seeing at Manchester United and have seen for a little while now, I think it's just bizarre because, it you know, Randy's taught a lot about the brain, that it always starts in your head. You know, it's not a case of let's run 
with big pairs of lungs. It's about knowing that you have to run first, you know, operating the trigger with the press and pushing up the pitch really quickly. And that's how you start doing it. And United do do it sometimes. And then other times they just kind of jog. So some of that, I think, is education. You have to teach this thing to players. But it's also about impetus, about players having a bit of effervescence about themselves as human beings. You know, go and do your work, get on the football pitch, do your job. So it was good to see that I think from minute one of the Aston Villa game that they were engaged in that, that they were running and that they were trying to set traps and they were trying to press higher up the pitch. So that was really good. But then you saw other parts of the game, say, especially defensively, where sometimes there was a lack of communication, big channels open up, allowing, let's say it, mediocre Aston Villa players to kind of just waltz through them without really a lot of lot of effort and then getting <laughs> shots off. So, you know, how, how do you balance that? You know, if you're Ralph Raniuk and you're sat there in the, in the dressing room at half time or, or at full time, you're back at Carrington. How do you say to your world-class players, you know, your top-line two, three hundred thousand pound-paid footballers, why are you letting that guy, that fullback there, who's not as good as you, just run past you without any effort? So it's difficult because because those are kind of questions that are are very personal to a coach and a player, but they've got to be asked, haven't they? Because these are not things that, as football fans, you could ignore. We'll talk about uh, a number of the players in the second half of the show. I mean. I'm trying not to bring up Marcus Rashford's name too much, but I think there's a chance uh, once I write the title for this episode that his name will feature in it because, as you put it, Rob, off here, we need to talk about Marcus Rashford. Uh, just something doesn't look right there, but we'll 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 hold off uh, talking about Marcus for now, and we'll uh, we'll look at some of the other players that were on the pitch, and we'll look at the effort levels and how it looked a bit clueless, didn't it? It's just. It's really, we can't seem to have one with the other at the moment. We we either have a team that looks relatively coherent, but don't actually, you know, they, they don't really concede any goals. Uh, I think that was one of the big things that Ralph wanted to put right to start with. And he's talked about, I don't know if you've noticed, but he's talked about that quite a bit, where he said in various uh, press conferences that this team has a lot of quality. We should have no problem scoring goals. Our problem is conceding them because they were conceding three, four, five uh, on occasions this season uh, and they've now kept another clean sheet and they kept one against Palace uh, in his first game so that's a plus point but is it kind of it's difficult are they putting more work into that even though they still look essentially like they don't really know what they're doing they can't seem to do one they can't seem to put bring it all together if you know what I mean they either put all the effort in and look really really ropey or they will just concentrate on not conceding but not really show anything else if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it's like a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So you, you see it with United. Uh, I think now the record is something like they've only conceded three goals in 540 minutes. So that is definitely a positive. And for a statistical coach like Ralph Ranić, you're going to look at those things and feel better about them. I don't think you will feel good, but he'll feel better because you do have to stop conceding goals. It doesn't matter how well you play. If you concede four, five, six goals, you're going to lose a game, aren't you? So I think that when it comes to that, the team shape and the defending, you know, we, we often talk about the back four and, and uh, kind of the solidity there and the know-how. Defending starts at the top end of the pitch. You know, it starts in your press. It starts how high you play up, how you can stop the opponent getting through you. 
And what you saw with Aston Villa, as we just talked about there, is that there's big wide channels still present on the football pitch. So, yes, you get a clean sheet. But let's be honest, Aston Villa had two goals chalked off. And it was that kind of game where Villa had had their shooting boots on or Ings, Ings or Watkins had really been at their top levels. I think United probably, probably would have lost this game. But Villa couldn't take advantage of Man United's misgivings. But it just seems to roll on and on, doesn't it? Like as you said, they do some things well, but there's always a payoff so and not a good payoff. So it's like, yeah, they ran more, but they couldn't control a football. Oh, this week they controlled the ball better, but they didn't run. You've got to kind of find a happy medium, but a happy medium isn't being mediocre. You know, the happy medium is being good. That's what we expect at Manchester United. It's a difference. They are such a weird team. It's just, it's so painful at the moment just to kind of see that they just are looking relatively clueless at times. But I, I suppose the biggest thing in the end is that they did get through. Um, I've kind of made a blanket rule for this that I don't really want to talk about VAR. I think VAR is so overplayed, but the two goals were correctly ruled out briefly, do you think? 100%. And I don't, I don't even understand why after the game these highly paid pundits think that that's the bit of the, the football match that needs to be talked about. You know, when you looked at the goal when it goes across, there's no doubt that Cavani is screened illegally. You know, he's running back to clear the ball. He might have got his head on it and he gets kind of smashed into a wall of a defender who obstructs him. Obstruction is a foul. It's not, it's not really, I, I, took, I, I didn't understand why it took three minutes to sort out, but I do think because it was like several things happened in that play that they were kind of looking for what was the reason why we can't give this goal. But it certainly wasn't, they weren't doing it for Man United's benefit. It's just that that's what VAR is. And again, I think, I think football pundits get way too excited about some of these things because it's very binary. It's a foul. It is clear and obvious, even though people went, oh, is it? Well, yeah, if you stand in front of someone who's running towards the ball, it's called obstruction. It's a, it's like the age-old rule that you cannot do that. You can do it in basketball. You can screen someone. It's a legal move. You cannot do it in football. Let's let's look at the positives, Rob. Um, was there anyone, any player who particularly impressed you in this game? <sighs> Indivi- Rafa Varane? Indivi- in, in, no, no. Individually, <laughs> individually, um, I wasn't particularly impressed with anyone. I think when you take the kind of the the kind of meat and potatoes off the plate and look at it in in just function, I think Luke Shaw did his job. You know, pushed up. I think Delo looks better defensively than he has done maybe in recent incarnations. So that's a positive to me. Um, Varane was okay, but I think you've got to give Varane time to get his fitness back. I think he's getting there. Victor Lindelof, I think it's just a disaster. I wanted him to start yesterday. You know, I really did. I kind of I wanted him to start over Maguire because I wanted to see what he could do as a progressive defender with Varane. And what did I see? I saw exactly what I saw last year and the year before, and that is that he can't run, that he's slow. And if you put a ball over the top of him, he panics and he gets done and shots get off. So there's that in the back four. But I think when you go through the team, Fred and McTominay did Fred, Fred and McTominay things. I thought Bruno was a little bit better. Uh, I think uh, Mason did his work with maybe being a little bit too greedy on the ball. Yeah. Like he wants to come in on his left. We know what he wants to do, take two touches, put it in the bottom corner. He's good enough to do that, but he didn't have a good shooting game yesterday. And I think Cavani was was all right, but I always have a theory about Cavani that when he starts games, he's just less effective because he's tired after an hour mark. So it's difficult for him. He's an old guy. And then, of course, on the left you had yesterday was 
Sir Marcus Rashford. So there are there's problems with his game, and we will talk about those today. So overall, no, not really impressed with anyone individually. I think uh, Scott McTominay was the man of the. I'm match, trying to make just... this positive, Rob. <laughs> I'm trying to make this a. Po- I, I th- <laughs> Let me grab this that... <laughs> quote from Ralph. He's an academy boy. His energy is amazing. He now also looks like he's starting to score goals and also has some leadership skills. I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years he would be the captain of this team. Now, that's a statement that is going to rile up a lot of United fans, isn't it? But at least it's a positive thing. <laughs> it's a positive thing for people that like Scott McTominay. So I, I, I like him as in terms of what he can do and maybe a, li- a little bit of his potential and the work rate that he gives. Is Scott McTominay the best midfielder in the Premier League? Absolutely not. So, you know, he could be a player. Like when you think about uh, someone like Jordan Henderson at Liverpool, you know, Jordan Henderson wasn't the best player at Liverpool, still isn't the best player at Liverpool, but he's the guy that that is the the metronome. He's the he's the quality. He goes in there, he talks, he does his work, and and he gets credit for that, doesn't he? Because he's in a team that's winning. Scott McTominay is in a team that's losing. So all of the things that he's not good at are going to be like a beacon and of course football twitter and united twitter are going to take that statement of captaincy and go absolutely balmy about it because the last thing a lot of those guys want is scott mctominay anywhere near the first team yeah at least mctominay and fred combined for the goal uh, it was a lovely header from mctominay he's probably got got to add more goals to his game he is capable of it he's got a few in recent weeks um a nice little cross by fred as well and i think one thing I've noticed is United do seem to the, the first goal in games is really important uh, with probably United more than more than anyone. I know that they went through this phase over a couple of years with Ollie that they fall behind away from home all the time or fall behind in games all the time and manage to turn it around. But it just seems like as soon as that going back to the Wolves game, I know it came late on. But I felt in that game that if Wolves scored, even if they scored after 20 minutes, that it was not being reversed. I, I feel like the first goal is quite important in this game. And the fact that it came so early, you know, helped United. But if they'd have fallen behind, I would have really worried for their, their position in the cup. Yeah, and it also shows how important formations can be because as Ralph said after the game, you know, when he sets up, formation is not the first thing that he thinks of. He thinks more about the job and how to facilitate that. When you looked at Wolves, Wolves played that 3-4-3, which allowed their, their wing backs to push high up on United. And it completely ruined United. United just couldn't get out. They had no quality to kind of pass, do two passes in midfield to get round that. And it showed. And as you said there, I felt the same thing. I felt that Wolves could kind of take that game at any moment and maybe even score more goals. But I think with Villa, with their 4-3-3 being relatively narrow, it helped Ralph to kind of just put Marcus wide left, put Mason wide right, and that stretched the pitch, the width for Man United. So that was an advantage and that helped United get forward. United had plenty of chances on the night. But again, it's more the kind of decision-making and the finishing. And if you do have good decision-making and good finishing yesterday, you might have seen that United win that game 5-1, 4-1. It could have been any scoreline, really. But it's just that all of these dots are not quite marrying together just yet. Steven Gerrard will get another chance to beat <laughs> Manchester United uh, in a game on, I think it's Saturday. I'm just kind of glad that it didn't happen last night. Although... Um, Villa have now managed to sign Felipe Coutinho, which is uh, an interesting one. He might be ready for that game. So I was just filled with trepidation that it would be Gerard and Coutinho teaming up to beat United. Um, we'd <laughs> never live that one down. Um, but yeah, um, going back to a comment you made earlier, Rob, this is more than a six-month job for Ralph, isn't it? 
Yeah, and it would be more than a six-month job for anyone. You know, this is a kind of classical needs to be pre-season. You need to reset. You need to get rid of players that obviously don't help you. But you need to be able to sit down and say, this year, we're going to do this. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said at the start of the season, this season is going to be about 4-3-3 free, free, and being pushing through the lines quicker, not, you know, not counter-attacking, but actually more build-up play, more kind of intricate stuff. And that's how we want to play this season. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen to such an extent that Ole lost his job. So Ralph's come in with his own kind of set methods of how he does it, the Red Bull system. And this United team, I think they want to do it. It's just that they find it really, really difficult to calculate everything that needs to be done in the brain to be able to put it to happen on a football pitch. Because it, it, it's like it's a stuttering car, isn't it? It's like it's like they're going down a road and you can see the exhaust backfiring all the time and the car is moving. But all you can look at is that that backfire and that cloud of smoke coming out the back. So uh, that's a good analogy, I think, for Man United, because I think that they they have the motivation to do it. But they just look like sometimes they don't know how to play the chess game. We have an incredible exclusive offer from our friends at ProPrep. This is the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering or maths related modules. It can halve your study time. ProPrep provides bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course, which can be accessed from any device at any time. It has already helped over 500,000 students pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions so you'll be ready. You can even submit questions to the ProPrep professors and receive a video answer within 24 hours. ProPrep created a special offer just for our listeners. All you need to do is go to their website, proprep.uk slash info slash football for more information. And our listeners can sign up for a 30-day free trial now. No credit card information required. That's proprep.uk slash info slash football. Proprep, the ultimate study tool. Rob, we need to talk about Marcus Rashford, don't we? We put this off for now uh, or for, for the duration of the show so far. But he put out a statement um, on his Twitter last week, which probably went on Instagram as well, I would think. But he just about just talking about um, how United players hadn't had had their commitment questioned. And, you know, he said, we've all been disappointed with recent performances and we've been as disappointed with the news coverage questioning our commitment to not only the manager and the coaching staff, but the club. And he went on to talk about his respect for both um, and how he was unhappy with his recent performances, his own, his own biggest critic. Um, but he's determined to prove his worth and to continue putting in effort and showing us on the pitch that he's really committed to the club. Now, I don't want to dig out Marcus Rashford because you never know um, what could be going on. Um, it could be some off the field issues, but he doesn't look happy at the moment, does he? No, he doesn't. And I agree with you. I don't want to dig Marcus out. Like I, I've said plenty in recent times about, about Marcus's game and what he needs to improve and how he needs to kind of show it at United. <clears throat> but I do also think that we're seeing things that are are worrying. Yeah, I think when you look at Marcus, you know, and you look at his body language, you look at his output, you look at how he's playing the game, something has fundamentally changed about Marcus Rashford. So, you know, form is visceral. It can come and go. Form doesn't kind of make the player. 
But it is really important that if you're making statements like he did there on Twitter, on social media and said, you know, about how he feels it and all that. And I'm sure he does. I, I agree with him. Like, he's a fan like you and me. You know, he's a Man United fan. It's just that he's got the opportunity that we haven't. And that is that he's got the chance to do something about it. So watching him in that Aston Villa game, I, uh, I just followed him the whole, the whole match. Just watched him for long chunks because there's just something not right about Marcus. He doesn't do the work correctly. He doesn't do the tactical side of it correctly. He looks down. He looks a little bit miserable. His head is bowed a lot. His shoulders are slumped. One of the things about Marcus that I always used to love about him is that he had an energy game. So like when you looked at the Solskjaer times, you know, we, we've looked at, you know, in, in depth about how Ole's teams didn't really run a lot. Well, Marcus always used to run. Marcus would always do some chasing, go down the channel, try and run the fullback, try and run the centre-back. He's not doing any of that now. And it's a coach who's come to the football club that demands those things, demands that you put energy into your game. And yet here we are. We've talked about Man United having a better game in terms of energy. But I think the kind of sore thumb in all of that is Marcus Rashford because he wasn't closing down the fullback set in the trap. So when Cavani and Bruno were pushing against the centre-backs, the ball goes wide to a fullback. And then it's up to the wider players to go and close that space down. But close it down before the ball moves. Yeah, don't wait until the ball goes from centre-back to, to wide player. Do it when it's at the centre-back. That's how you set the trap. And Marcus was just doing this kind of little jogging thing. Kind of what I would call pretend football. You know, yeah, I'm jogging towards the player. But then he's got, you know, six seconds to pass the ball past me. And oh, he's passed the ball past me. I'll turn around now and jog back into position a little bit more. There's a lot of that from Marcus Rashford. You'd have to ask him why that is. You know, this is kind of, as you said, it could be a, a one of a million reasons. But ultimately, we need Marcus Rashford. We need him to get back to his best and put it out there and put it all on the line. Because whatever you can say about it at the moment, his form and his performances are not acceptable. It catch a bit of criticism for, um, I think it was when Mason Greenwood was played in behind on the right side. He ran from, you know, the, the touchline on, on the halfway line had been played onside, didn't square it across. I think he had a shot and then the rebound came forward. And it, if Rashford had continued his run, it might have looked, you know, he had a chance, but I, I don't really think he would have got there. But I think the fact that, and a lot of people picked up on this, the fact that he didn't actually bother and he kind of just turned away from it and then Martinez took a couple of seconds to actually pick it up he ended up falling over his own defender um I think that might have bothered a few people but you know it's just it's not so much that he could have got the ball it's just that he didn't really go for it you know and I think that was the the big issue that flagged with a few fans and I think that's out of character for Marcus Rashford when he's a, a normal human being so Marcus is a guy that kind of cares about his game and cares about stuff and doesn't kind of give that, you know, due diligence away. Like he doesn't like there, the gamble would have been, yeah, you just keep running, don't you? You know, you're running in the box. You've done the first sprint and go, go and close the goalkeeper down because what happens if he drops the ball at your feet? You score. So as you said there in that moment, I think that he was probably far enough away from Martinez to have not run on to the ball. But it's, it's not doing the action that's the problem. And that, of course, you could hear it in the stadium that, that there was a groan because everyone just thought, just run towards the ball. You could see that was what that outlay was for people. Like, come on, do what we want you to do. And if you, if you don't get the ball in that moment, it's fine. Just do the work. So 
I think for Marcus, he did that twice yesterday in that game where I think there were opportunities for him to just extend his run a little bit more. He kind of pulled up and that would suggest to me that that's either an injury, that he's suffering with something. But I think we've made that excuse for Marcus quite a few times in the last two or three years. And, and this is now where it has to be mind over matter. You have to go and make that run, put your body on the line and do that extra five yard sprint. Because if you do that, you might get a goal and you might score something that you wouldn't have done if you hadn't done that. So I think that's where Ranić has really got a riddle to solve because, you know, I don't think Marcus is a guy that doesn't care. Like people might look at Anthony Martial and say, oh, he's a guy that doesn't care. You know, he's not, he's not part of the fabric of the football club and he wants to go and this player wants to go. And there's all of these talks all the time about United players. Marcus Rashford loves Man United and he's not running. So what's that all about? So I think that has to be put to Marcus and for him to put that statement out about, you know, that he cares and, and kind of the in-depth intricacies of kind of what he said. It shows that he does, but but why is he not showing it? You know, what is stopping him? And I think we have to stop blaming managers and coaches and stuff at some points and just put it to players and say, OK, you might not like the tactics. I'm sure Marcus isn't happy that he's been dropped. You know, he's been put on the bench, hasn't he, in recent times. I think that's been warranted. I think he needed that. And then he comes back in, he's get a chance and... Uh, you don't, you know, you run at 80% for the whole game. Not acceptable. You know, straight away, Jaden Sancho's fit for the next game. You're out. Jaden's back in. Mason still plays because Mason was putting in a shift. So the team kind of picks itself. I would like to see Marcus Rashford picking himself a little bit more. He is 24 now. And he's, he's been around for ages. He's still relatively young in a football sense. But, you know, it's the time now where he's not a young... You wouldn't call him... Obviously, still young, but he's not like one of the junior players in this team anymore. He's got to start, you know, taking the man, taking the mantle is the wrong way to put it. But you know, we expect more of him now. He's he's entering his peak years. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because in society, twenty-four years old is not old, is it? So, like, (laughs) you you took a twenty-four-year-old, you could say that there might be maturity issues or motivation issues just in normal workplaces. Whereas in football, we look at twenty-four as some grand old statesman, and you've got to be a leader and you've got to be kind of the best version of you that you'll ever be. But that's kind of part of the game, you know. Like, you're right, Marcus is twenty-four. He's got plenty of games under his belt. Scored lots of goals for Man United. Played under various managers. He has to do better. So at 24 years old, you are one of the dressing room leaders. You are one of the academy boys. So like you mentioned there, Scott McTominay and Ralph deliberately put that at the top of his statement. He's an academy boy, meaning he runs, you know, he does it for the club. Well, Marcus Rashford is an academy boy. Why are you not running? You know, this is how it is. And if Marcus doesn't run, you don't play. You know, it's as simple as that. It doesn't matter how much we like Marcus or we know what Marcus can do. If you are not doing the work rate for whatever reason, Go and sit your backside on the bench. You'll be fine as an impact player for 20 minutes. You just might not be happy about it. Ralph has said as much uh, in recent encounters with the press that I think he might have been, I don't know if it was an exact quote, but he did pretty much say, if you don't run, you're not going to play. And yeah, it just seems to be something wrong with Marcus Rashford. One thing that players are quite quick to do, and this is a transition into the uh, 17 unhappy players section that's been doing the rounds over the last few weeks um, is post on social media. This is just a, I don't want to be this guy, but if Jesse Lingard came on for a couple of minutes last night and did a nice little thing where he beat two players in the corner and then I checked social media five minutes after the game, I might be embellishing a little bit there, but he, you know, oh, there's a little clip of Jesse Lingard's little bit of skill. Um, 
does that bother you? It's kind of irking me because they're not really putting it in on the pitch. I've kind of, as, as the, I have a kind of dual life as a fan and as a journalist. So as a journalist, yeah, I'm interested in those things. I want to know what players think and say, because that's part of our job. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. As a football fan, I have no interest in it at all. I really don't. I don't look at social media. I don't look at accounts for footballers after games. That's not kind of, you know, I'm not really, I don't really care what they think. All I care about is what they do on a football pitch in the 90 minutes. Can they have an effect on a game? But I also do understand that the common football fan wants that. They want that interaction with uh, with players via social. So uh, I wrote my Red News column uh, just yesterday to go out in the next week or two that gets printed and goes out at Old Trafford. And, and I spoke about this as, as a specific point about how uh, football fans go on social media and abuse footballers and it doesn't help the toxicity around the football club itself. So we're talking about Marcus Rashford, aren't we here? And if, if people are jumping on Marcus Rashford's Twitter and he's just reading reams and reams and reams and reams of negativity, it's not particularly good, is it? But at the same time, when players do then go on social media and say something about something, fans get upset about it. So it's a double-edged sword. Uh, I'm not bothered if Jesse Lingard does that, but really someone should be in Jesse's ear saying, don't do that. Someone should be saying to Jesse, like, in terms of an advisor, please don't. Go on social after you played two minutes of a game and you played okay for those two minutes. And, you know, now you're posting you doing step overs in a corner flag to try and kill a game. Um, no, if you scored a goal, yeah, post something. You know, we had it with Jesse Lingard not longer, didn't he, when he, he uh, reposted a West Ham uh, yeah. um, uh, post of him scoring a goal. Um, you don't play for West Ham. Maybe don't do that. Maybe one of your advisors in your team, because you have got them, would say, Jesse, that ain't clever. So some of this is a little bit kind of tabloidy. You know, it's a little bit, I think players play up to it as well. You know, they want to just kind of put something out there and we all do it, don't we? We all share jokes and we all might be, you know, a bit more looser on Twitter and say some stuff that we wouldn't always say. But with football, it sticks because it's there forever. You post it and that's how fans feel. I, I don't want to see more of it. Unfortunately, Scott, I think we live in a world where that we will just see untold more of it and and i think this is maybe just the beginning yeah i I don't want to come across as that um moody unhappy person i just i just thought i pointed out because i just know it just something i noticed like straight after the game where united had been pretty much outplayed for 90 odd minutes but it niggles Um, doesn't it 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 niggles because i think this is the whole thing i i if i ran man united if i ran them i would say none of you have social media i just said that okay this is this is the job you sign it in your contract been your social media and do it. But of course, Man United want them on social media. Man United want them to post stuff because that's the commercial arm of the football club. So there is that conflict there. I think in sporting terms, it doesn't help. I agree with you. So do we think, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put it like this. <laughs> um, seven, uh, 11 last week at some point, there was a, a report that 11 Manchester United players are unhappy and want to leave. A day later, 17 Man United players are unhappy and want to leave. I'm not going to speculate that Lingard and Rashford are two of those people, but that's a fair chunk of the squad. Um, And it is seeming to show up in some performances. Um, I'm just going to run through some updates with the team at the moment. I think Ralph Ranick last night was asked about Dean Henderson, uh, made it clear that Henderson told him a couple of weeks ago that he wanted to leave. And he said, no. And, he was asked if the situation had changed and he said no. So will we see Dean Henderson leave? I don't know. Um, but as, at the moment, the club are denying it because 
he is a probably a handy backup keeper to have, but David De Gea isn't losing his place. He's one of the players who actually probably does warrant a place in the team at the moment. Uh, there's d- speculation that Ahmad could go out on loan, wants to stay in England, um, probably to get a bit of game time to start being ready and adapt into English football. But there's other reports. Um, I'm just going to run through them, Rob. Uh, Ronaldo, take these with a pinch of salt, but Ronaldo conversations with agent, his agent, George Mendes, about his future and some interest from PSG. Uh, Bruno Fernandes has denied interest from Barcelona on Instagram. What's the world coming to? <laughs> uh, what is the world coming to? That's funny. <laughs> um, what do you make of all this? I mean, I don't really question Bruno's uh, commitment to the cause, uh, but there are definitely some players there who want out. We haven't even mentioned Anthony Martial yet. Uh, how much do you buy into this? Are there 17 players unhappy? Can we count them? <laughs> I think, again, when you're losing, the world seems like a bad place, doesn't it? So I don't want players to be happy. I don't want anyone at Man United who wears that jersey or goes to train every day to be happy. No one should be happy at the moment. But at the same time, I do think that it's a transfer window. We always hear these stories every year in the transfer window. It's not a new thing, you know, when players start to posture to move from a football club. Um, I just think with Man United that they have just got surplus of players that can't help them anymore. And when those players also realise that they can't help the football club, they want to move on because it's bad for them. It's bad for their image. It's bad for their wage potential. It's bad for their potential to win trophies. So I think that that's where Man United stand at the moment. So the criticism really lies at at the hands of the Glazers, really, because I think that this is how you manage a football club. You know, you have to make sure you sell players at the right time and buy players at the right time. I think the recruitment under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was better, but I think the final transfer window killed him. It did. You know, they, they, they got the blend wrong. They didn't buy the midfield that they needed. And, and it kind of was the end of that project. And now they're in transition again. So I know United fans are bored of that word because they, you know, you hear all the time United are in transition, you know, they're trying to rebuild stuff. It's probably quite good that a load of Man United players want to leave because you want to get them out. You want to get them off your wage bill and they can't help you. Dean Henderson is a very good goalkeeper. I don't think Dean Henderson did enough last year to usurp David De Gea. And there's no, there's no, there's no kind of doubt this year. David De Gea is probably Man United's player of the year. So he's going to win player of the year for the fifth year in nine seasons or 10 seasons. <laughs> and, and it's kind of crazy because it means that you're doing something really wrong if your goalkeeper's winning player of the year. But that's where we stand today. But also, if David Hay gets injured, you need Dean Henderson around because you'd then be in a catastrophic place in terms of quality in, in your goal. You know, you'd have to have Tom Heaton come in or... <laughs> no, no, it just wouldn't work. So you have to keep Dean, Dean Henderson for now. However... Now that it's known that he wants to leave and it's been known for a little while, I'm sure there will be bidders. People will be looking at Dean Henderson. I don't think you can let him go on loan, but if you could get good money for him, and you're only talking like a year ago about him being a 50 to 60 million pound goalkeeper. I don't think you might get anywhere near that now. I really don't. I think he's more likely going to go for somewhere in the mid twenties if you let him go, but you can't let him go just at this moment. It's a problem that United have had for a while, isn't it? And it probably leads into the fact that they do pay so well on contracts, but they have such a difficulty with offloading these types of players that if you, you know, we've talked about Phil Jones in the past, who's on probably, you know, big money for somebody who hasn't played for two years, made one appearance in two years or whatever. Um, There's other players there as well. United have had real problems offloading players and their squad is now bloated. And it was probably only a matter of time before this, you know, 
all this fested into some big thing that we're seeing now. You know, they've got a big squad of players, probably as big as any in the Premier League at the moment. And if you don't stay on top of that and manage it, and why a player's going to leave if they're being paid 100 grand a week, you know, um, and they're getting that for five years, they're probably not going to make that elsewhere. So you, you, you understand, in a sense, that any, any human's going to take whatever is financially best for them. Uh, but it really doesn't help, does it? The wage bill's a real problem they've got to sort out. Yeah, look, the Glazers are always looking at the wage bill because that affects profit. So that's the first business side of it. You know, this is part of the kind of story. But Man United are always going to be one of the biggest wage earners. So like in terms of putting out wage to, to players, and that's the carrot for a lot of players. So you want to get them to the football club because they're good. So you pay them a big wage. Look at someone like, let's say, for instance, Alexis Sanchez. Really good example. You get Alexis Sanchez. So you have to make him want to leave Arsenal. So he's done well at Arsenal and he's got he's made a kind of uh, um, a career for himself there as the main man, the superstar of that team. He wants out. He wants to win trophies. But to tempt him, you have to pay him a lot of money. Then you're in a bidding war with Man City before him. Man City then go, we're not doing this. So you get the player for near on half a million pound a week in wages. You know, now that was £250,000 a week basic and, and add-ons but it's a lot of money. And then what happens? He does nothing. You sell him, end of story. Man United have had too many of those. And at some point you have to stop blaming the players for that one. So, you know, I just said earlier on that we look (laughs) at performances, we can blame the players and I can't think you can, but I think when you're looking at recruitment and having a strong squad, that comes down to the ownership. It's about how they recruit and how they do it. I think when you look at this United team, they've got plenty of good players, but there's a malaise of talent you know it's it's they're good players and they might do well at other clubs but when you talk about winning a championship you've got to be man city standard you've got to be liverpool standard and that's what we don't have so we have people say oh i've got a deep squad a strong squad i don't think really we have we've got good players but we haven't really got that depth of squad i agree with ralph have players who are young on their first and second contracts because they are just naturally motivated to show what they can do as soon as you get to those mid-20s and late 20s kind of player and early 30s, which United do have now at this football club, earning big money, how mo- how motivated are they to solve a problem? I'm not convinced. I think that's really where United need to correct that now, not just in this transfer window, but maybe in the next three or four transfer windows. You know, It's going to take some time. Whichever coach gets this job, whether it's Ranić, Ten Hag, Pochettino, you can just reel them all off. There is a ton of work to do with the squad. Well, of course, we can now be confident that everything will get sorted out as Ed Woodward is leaving at the end of the month and being replaced by Richard <laughs> Arnold, right? Yeah, like for like, you know, you talk about uh, the squad and, you know, bringing in one player to do another player's job and it all looking exactly the same. I think we might see that at board level, you know. With Richard Arnold, I think that this is this. He is a guy who is really good at organising. Yeah, he's a, he's... He's at that tier of management for a reason. And he's not bad at what he does in terms of commercialism. You know, Man United want that commercial offer. Ed Woodward was a revolutionary at it. Like we all think that Ed was awful when he was in football terms, but he really did in 10 years revolutionize the whole football industry in terms of sponsorship. Now, we don't care about that. That's something the Glazers care about. I don't care about that, but United do. And Richard Arnold will carry that on. And I hope that he defers the football knowledge to someone else. And that's what he said he's going to do. That what has Don been, Mer- yes, that has been. This is the party the line now. So they've said that out loud. But the point is, Scott, that if you have a director of football and the director of football just has to kind of knock on uh, 
Richard Arnold's door and say, oh, Richard, can we sign this player? And Richard goes, no, because you ain't got the money. Then Richard Arnold might as well make the decisions anyway. So I just think that you have to have a better balance between the commercial arm and the football arm. And, and I hope that that manifests itself because I think John Murto and now Ralph Ranick will be a consultant at Man United for two years after this, even if he doesn't get the manager's job, that they identify players maybe in that kind of lower tier who are going to be motivated but still have the quality. You know, go and find your next Riyad Mahrez. You know, look at what, what Leicester did. Go and find players like Kante who just no one ever knew about scout correctly and get brilliant footballers you're not getting them in to just go and sell them you're getting them in to go and win stuff Leicester won a title with those two players that I just mentioned there but that's the methodology go and find good players because not every good player is at Arsenal or at Tottenham or a, or a big club and you've got to go and poach them there's plenty of great players in the lower leagues but you've got to go and find the talent and develop it but is it really Manchester United style to go and sign somebody with from the second division in France with 4,000 Instagram followers? Well, <laughs> well yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? Because allegedly we are. Allegedly we're a football club that develops. So the whole point of it is that you bring players to the club and educate them in your ways and then give them freedom to go and play their best football. That's not been happening under the Glazers and has never really happened under the Glazers because we've not had a defined football arm. You know, Fergie's gone, David Gill's gone, and that all went with them. It just disappeared but man united would go and find players from other clubs like that you know they'd they'd go and sift through the leagues they had an extensive scouting network and they still do so don't tell me that you can't find players when other clubs are finding players because you have to go and make that move you're manchester united you can tempt anyone to the club you really can you've got the money you've got the wage ball you've got the the grandeur of the football club go and get them go and get them as soon as you can and start developing we've got Hannibal Medgebury now right he's at the African Nations comes in as a young player we've developed him for a couple of years he's showing that he's going to be a player how long is it before you put him in your team and give him a chance or are you going to do to him what you did to Paul Pogba so when Paul Pogba showed that he could be a top talent you sat him on the bench you never played him and you played Rafael De Silva in central midfield, and then he left the football club. So are we going to do that at Medjubri? Is he going to be 18, 19, 20, end up at a Leicester City, show that he's a top player, and then we're going to buy him back for 100 million? So I want to see United be a little bit more shrewd with these things. I do think that United will try and offload some players this month as we've, uh, as we've, spoken about in recent minutes uh we'll, we'll see what happens there i think the deal will have to be right for united but at, at times i think that they've just thought that they could probably end up getting more money than they actually can uh for a bunch of players and that's why they haven't left but dennis zakaria we mentioned him last week um reports have still continued since we last spoke rob about uh, potential interest in him uh there was a suggestion in switzerland which is uh you know his own country that United made a five million bid, but that was soon rubbished. Um, but out of contract in the summer, probably interesting. A number of clubs. He seems like the type of player that could give United a shot in the arm straight away. Yeah, like do you know, I see him as a kind of Tellez like signing. So lots of talk around the player, lots of chat. He is a player, I think, that would improve your squad. Is he the player that kind of gets you over the line? No, but he's probably the player that gets you closer to where you want to be. So like Tellez, you know, Tellez comes to the football club and him coming to the football club helped Luke Shaw push on. So if 
you could say bringing in Zakaria helped other players improve their performance. That's what it's all about. It's about a holistic build. I always say use that word all the time. It's about how one player can affect three or four players. That's how I look at it. So Zakaria is a good player. I think that he's a kind of um, signing that United might look at in the final week of the transfer window because they're going to have to move players off the wage bill first. And I think that you know you look at the likes of Donny Van der Beek. You know you look at kind of the the real kind of fringe at Man United, you even look at maybe the likes of Juan Mata, it's time to move these players off the wage bill that can't help you. If they cannot help you and they do not play and they don't even get on the bench in some cases, start to clear out, bring in players like Zakaria who are readily available, who are not going to cost you a lot of money, who will not be big wage earners and give them an opportunity. You know, do it in your build. Say like, here we go, we want to build. Zakaria, come to the football club, give it a go. Medjbury, promote him, get him through the ranks. Uh, Anthony Langer last night came on for five minutes and did more in five minutes than, than Marcus Rashford did in 85 minutes. So I watched that and I'm just thinking, give the boy a go. Give him a chance. Start him in a match and say, you're showing me that you want it. Let's try it. And I think that's kind of what Ralph will have to try and sort out in the next few weeks. But as we said, this is a much bigger, deeper build than what you can do in six months. Yeah, it's going to definitely continue in the summer, whether Ralph is in charge as manager or whether he does move into a consultancy role and is replaced by another manager. I, I, do you know what? One of, one of the things I always liked about going back to Mauricio Pochettino was, remember the job he initially did at Spurs where he came in and he said, and they were bad eggs, you know, or they were, yeah. he had to clear out a bunch of players and then get them playing. It's, I've always seen a lot of similarities between that and United. Yeah, I, I also look at Southampton. So when he went yeah. to Southampton, I can remember when he got the job and he did his first interview and I was I was working some of it. And, uh, and he did his first interview and it was in Spanish, obviously. And and it just kind of felt a bit vague. It was like, well, is this a good fit? You know, this guy, you know, his background, is he going to do what Southampton need? Southampton had an incredible academy. It's always been a big part of their their football club for a long time. Probably one of the best academies in England. And And he exploited that. He went in there and he said, right, Deadwood out, young players promoted. Yes, you're good, you're good, we'll sell you, we'll make money out of you. So we've now got more money in our pot and we'll buy players. And he made that bill and he, a build and he did it successfully in a short period of time. And of course, then got the promotion to Tottenham and replicated it, did exactly the same with Spurs. It's kind of what Man United need. They need someone who's going to build the club. So this is why I'm quite still high on Ralph Ranick, he's a club builder. Whereas I look at maybe someone like Ten Hag, and I don't see that. I look at Ten Hag. I think he's done well at Ajax, but Ajax have an infrastructure of philosophy that Man United do not have. So do I think that Ten Hag could just turn up at Man United and fix everything like people think he can? Being honest, at the moment, no, I don't see that. You need to get a club builder. And at least Pochettino has got that on his CV. I think that's why Pochettino sticks out at a place like PSG. He's not doing any club building. He's just turn, turning up, taking coaching, saying, Neymar, put the ball in the top corner. Messi put the ball in the top corner. Oh, um, Mbappe finished that and we're going to win games 10-0. And, and they're having problems with that as well because that's not real coaching, is it? That's just superstar football. So I think he would be better in a Man United scenario where he have to build and coach the players. And then you'd have to give him the same leeway that we gave Ole. You'd have to say two to three years before we even blink. So if results are bad in the first year, take it on the chin and get on with it and keep building results might be bad but all the good stuff happens on the training pitch and i'd be good with pochettino another three years of building 
be 10 years next year um, until yeah. you, since United have won the league. But look um, at Liverpool, look, look at Liverpool with Klopp, right? When Klopp came, yeah. they did that cycle. They went through it over and over and over and over again. Brendan Rodgers did really well. Roy Hodgson didn't do well. They had coaches all the way through over those 10, 20 year periods until you get the right coach. So you have to do it. You have to take the pain. And this is the whole thing with United. The next coach has to be the right coach, you know, but <laughs> we know United, they, they pick coaches for wrong reasons at times. Do you know what I mean? Or they look at the direction of a football club and it's not the direction of a true football club. It's the direction of a multi-conglomerate you know, business trying to earn money. So we need to see that now at Man United. Whoever the next coach is, they need to work with the director of football and they need to find some real talent. It will be painful. Um, Rob, I'm going to wrap up now. Do you have any final thoughts before we uh, move on? No, look, patience. I know I, I always preach this, patience, patience, patience. I think with Ralph's system, you you can't learn it in a few weeks. And I said this when he got the job. I said that that this was going to be a painful process and we would see some stinking performances and we are seeing some stinking performances. But there are the kind of seeds of posit- positivity there in the work rate of the team. And I don't think this is a case of a, of a squad trying to dig out a manager. You know, I don't think they're looking at Ralph and some of the reports that we're obviously seeing and reading about discourse. I don't think they're unnatural as well. I think when the team is misperforming and misfiring, you should have unhappy footballers, but you must try and fix it. So I think Ralph has got all the experience in the world to do that. Whether he's got the experience to do this, because this is such a weird dysfunctional setup at Man United that's another question but you know it's not always about tactics it's not always about systems it's about how you get players to do what you want you to do whether it be simple stuff or more explicit difficult stuff but I think we're okay let's go forward you win a game you now need to go to Aston Villa and show you can do that another level up don't you so I'm worried about the Villa game coming up because they look like a good team Gerard's all about motivationally as a player you know chest out i'm stevie g you know i'm you know the scouse jesus i can do all this you know he can carry things in a way that that other people can't carry them and credit to him that's part of his mo but may not haven't got that at the moment you can see they're flat so i'm worried that villa will come out all guns blazing think yeah we did all right old trafford i think we could take you at villa park we just have to make sure that man united come out and play a good game of football and hopefully hopefully get three points Villa away with Felipe Coutinho, probably in tow, and then Brentford away uh, in a rescheduled game. I think it's next Tuesday. So that will be fun. Uh, we'll, we'll see how United cope, uh, but two difficult away games to come. Uh, performances will have to improve if the results are to come with them. But thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, remember to subscribe to our show. Uh, we're on Apple, Spotify, and Google Pods, and follow us on Twitter too. You can find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise Land MU. Thank you so much. We will speak to you soon.